The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is your newscast for episode 253 for the week of, uh, or I guess it's the month of October. Month of October. Uh, going out October 9th. Alex, uh, is it fall? It is fall. It, Happy it, fall. I mean, it feels kind of chilly outside the last few days, so yeah. it must be fall. Um, yeah. My outside plants are dying. That is usually an indication. I think it did dip below 32. Um, this you know, We're recording on Saturday. I think it did dip, did dip it? below 32 this overnight last night, yeah. I, I didn't see any frost personally, but that doesn't mean it didn't didn't frost. Yeah. So uh, the trees are turning. Yeah, you know a lot of folks are out leaf peeping. I am I am not this year so far. But you're not a peeper. I well I wouldn't say that, but I haven't done it yet this year. I, last year we went and yeah. and you know there's still time. There's once still time. a peeper, always a peeper. There you go. Once you once you've enjoyed um, getting out to to see nature and all its beauty, um, it's it's hard to stop. It it sure is. It sure is. And hopefully everyone's getting a chance to get out on their own. Uh, before it gets too chilly. Uh, for sure. All right. Hey, we have some housekeeping type activities. Uh, we love to remind everyone that there's not only this wonderful award-winning podcast, uh, we also have a Slack community. And uh, we, we've got 2,500 of our closest friends out there in Slack where you can discuss things all the way on the gamut from the newest uh, attack techniques that are out there to where the best uh, coffee is in the Denver area. If you want to join Slack, go out to colorado-security.com and click on the Slack link and that'll get your request over to us. We'll get you joined. We also have a mailing list. You can sign up for that while you are on the website. You will get the show notes sent to you. Uh, we've actually been you know, trying to think if there's other things that we should be doing to you know, enrich the people that are on that mailing list other than the show notes once a month. There's occasionally some other things, but, you know, maybe we'll do something in the future. Who knows? So to enrich them, are you thinking some kind of lottery? Uh, Some kind of... I was thinking a pyramid scheme. Sweepstakes. uh, MLM. I have have an opportunity that will change your life. And and by them, I meant me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably doing it in some kind of podcast player. Uh, Please subscribe to this uh, so you get it downloaded automatically and, and rate us give us hopefully a good rating so it uh, we move up the charts yeah if, if, if you're if you've heard this every time we talk this is your time go go do, do the rating and give us a review that's that's good stuff we would also love it if you would tell your friends and and your enemies whoever whoever it is you know that might listen to security stuff let them know about the podcast let them know about the community we'd love to grow this you know the mission here is to to help the Colorado security community become uber connected and you can be a big part of that so please do uh, finally, if you'd like to support Colorado Equal Security financially, uh, we do have a, a Patreon campaign. You can be a patron of us. Uh, if you sign up for at least $10 a month, you'll get a, a cool gift from us and a shout out on the show and uh, other good stuff like that. So um, we use that Patreon money to support the costs we have for Colorado Equal Security and do fun events like the picnic we had this summer. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we do appreciate our current patrons very much. Thanks to those folks who are helping keep things going, you know, not only financially, but the support we get from you, um, just knowing that you care. It means a lot to us. So thanks a lot for those who do that. All right, let's jump into the news. Uh, some international news happening here in Colorado, Rob. Uh, Colorado's first Michelin star restaurants were announced. Yeah, I, I think another way to say this is, you know, a tire company is going to tell you where to eat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is It is amazing to me that somehow the Michelin company became the, the premier place to find the best food in the world. Um, and apparently uh, Denver is now a region that will be reviewed by the Michelin Guide. Um, I guess the Denver Ch- uh, Tourism Office, something like that, um, paid some money to get Michelin to come take a look out here. And there's five restaurants that are going to make the cut. Yeah, and uh, Michelin is looking at Denver County, Boulder County, and Aspen, I believe, are the three areas. Um, I know leading up to this, there was a little bit of kerfuffle because there are some good restaurants in Denver that aren't technically in Denver County, so they Mm. couldn't be counted. Um, I got to tell you, you know, there's like a a running joke that like, you know, the the more expensive the food, the the less food it looks like you get. I'll just say the pictures in this article, like, Absolutely, uh, are right right in line with that yeah. with that meme. Yeah, so there are uh, five restaurants that received a Michelin star. Um, I, I think all of them were, were a single star. Uh, Beckin, Bosque, Bruto, Frasca, and the Wolf's Taylor. Um, and, and obviously, like I said, take a look at the link in the in the show notes. You can see the food that you get from these places, and it is very. The presentation is a big part of it. I, I believe for Michelin that that's a big thing they care about, and obviously, uh, 
taken very seriously by these restaurants as well. I have eaten at Frasca. It's very good. Um, I know people that have eaten at the Wolf's Taylor. They said it's very good also. So, yeah, well, it's uh, it's cool to know that, you know, now now we have some rating and we're kind of on the stage a little bit. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Moving on to our next story. Speaking of cool local stuff, um, there is a a competition for the coolest thing made in Colorado. And there were 10 companies selected. And this article goes through what those 10 items are. Yeah. uh, So it's a wide range of things. And, you know, Rob, we were talking about earlier. I'm not sure exactly how you compare these things together, right. but um, hey, but they're all cool. Like uh, wad-free bed sheets. Like who wants their sheets all watered and, up? And, and an ejection seat for a spacecraft, right? Like, right. So a pretty wide variety of stuff. But Alex, you know, you and I each you know, took a moment to figure out what we, what we think was the coolest thing on the list. You know, I chose um, Lockheed Martin's, oh, let me get the right wording here, uh, Lockheed Martin's OS Iris Rex spacecraft um, made here in Colorado. It's hard to hard to beat a a, a Lockheed spacecraft being built here as the coolest thing. What, yeah. what did you find to be the coolest thing? Yeah, um, I'm taking a little bit of a of a different tact to this, Rob. Um, the one that I'm picking is uh, the DNA Vibes Jazz Band, um, and I'm picking this because it's I'll say I'll say it's interesting. Um, <laughs> the the I'll, I'll read some of the the thing here. Um, it's a wearable device that helps prevent injury and accelerates a user's recovery using a patent pending uh, regenerative process that stimulates DNA expression. Um, it, it From the picture, it looks sort of like a uh, a reddish disco ball-y earring. Um, I, think it, I think it's a pad behind her neck right there. Uh, maybe, that's think, but, that's what I think but I it does not look like from the picture, like it could be like something I, hanging from the, I, I, anyway. It, look, it does in the picture look like uh, an earring, but I do think it's a pad behind her neck anyway, coming near her ear. Anyway, this, this sounds a little woo-woo and um, maybe there's some science behind it. Maybe there's not, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, knows? I think much like many of the security tools that we invested <laughs> in our programs, one needs to, to do a little bit of analysis to determine if it, if it's effective. Well, if uh, if DNA Vibe wants to uh, to give us a trial unit for us to to test out and and do a POC with, we'll, we'll be happy to, and then yeah. we can tell people whether it works. And or we not. can use all five kinds of light that it generates exactly to to, to help with both recovery and uh, and not getting injured in the first place. Exactly. All right. Uh, moving on to the next story. Uh, this is a, a recent one. This just happened this week. There was a uh, some renderings that were released from the airport. Uh, as l- part of their uh, their next version of their uh, their planning process, this is uh, you know they have like a thirty year plan continually, and this is talking about what they're going to be doing in uh, in years from now, and and the enhancements that they're going to do the terminal, more concourses, other things like this. It uh, looks interesting, um, and I'll be happy to see it. Yeah. So specifically, the the thing that, that stood out to me here is by the year twenty forty five. They are planning for more than 120 million passengers. And one of the things that they're looking to do is to make walkable concourses from the main terminal. You know, you, you know the place where you have baggage claim and generally right now you maybe you get your ticket, then you go get on a train somewhere else. They're talking about adding, you know, connected to that the terminal. They're going to add on concourses with gates, another another hundred gates or so it looks like um, that the boat can get to. I was hoping when I first saw this that they were going to make it possible to walk to the existing concourses because it drives me crazy that I can walk to A, but doesn't right. matter how much time I have. I can't walk to B and I can't walk to C. So you're kind of at the at the mercy of the train. Um, anyway, but cool stuff. And the rendering shows what that's going to look like. Yeah, it looks like they're going to be building some stuff off of the main terminal, which is cool. And as you said, you know, at this point, I would just love it if they would fix the current airport. <laughs> right. They, you know, I know the, the current 10-year project they're in the middle of uh, feels like we are a long way from the end. I, I know they are planning for the future and you need to do that. But please just fix security for now. Yeah. Well, we have a, an update from a company we've talked about on here, I think, a number of times. Uh, formerly known as Digital Globe, now Maxar. Digital Globe was acquired and merged in with Maxar. Um, one of the larger tech employers here in Colorado, um, Maxar, just this in this last week or, or last month at least, um, has been broken up into two separate businesses. Um, and they, it looks like one of those is relocating out to California as the headquarters and the other one's staying in Denver uh, with a new interim CEO who's the same as the old CEO, which is a little bit weird. Uh, some big news from a local company. Yeah, so the there's going to be two, they call them in here business units because um, they'll still both be part of the 
bigger Maxar corporation, I guess. Um, but one of them will be Maxar Space Infrastructure, and that will be the one that is uh, led from California by a new CEO, Chris Johnson. And then Maxar Intelligence, which will be led by Dan Jablonski, uh, who will be interim CEO, but he is the current CEO of Maxar. Yeah, really, it's it, clearly some, some big changes going on over there. Um, this has impacted some employees who've already been laid off. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting because usually I think, you know, layoffs happen when you combine companies and you find synergies. In this case, um, there was layoffs even though they were com- uh, collapsed or dividing into two separate business units. Um, you know, I, I don't, we don't know how big the implications are going to be. Maxar didn't want to comment on how many layoffs were made. Um, but, you know, there's, there is news going on there. And if you, if you know folks over there, maybe reach out to them and make sure things are going okay. Yeah, it can't be that big. Otherwise, they would have had to tell the state and then we would have known approximately how many. So I'm guessing it's small. Uh, also, it was sort of implied but not said. Um, I'm assuming that the, the Maxar intelligence business is staying headquartered in Colorado. Yeah. They didn't say that it was doing that, but they didn't say it was moving either. Right. And, and I, I, I think fair point that that headquarters, the, the one up there at 120th, uh, 120th and Pecos, I think it is, um, that that's been there for a long time and uh, presumably it stays there. But, you know, that maybe there's more news coming. All right. Next, uh, we have an article talking about top universities uh, for startup founders. Th- this is a, uh, a list that came out recently. Um and CU is on that list uh, at number 39. Yeah, the, this is a, a story from the Colorado Inno, um, which we've, we've talked about these guys a couple pa- – we've had stories from this uh, publication a couple times in the past. But it's interesting to see you know, that CU is you – know, it's on the map for, for universities. You, as you mentioned, you know, so not in the top 25 even. You, know, you start off the list with comp- the ones you might expect. You know, Stanford's number one, um, Cal Berkeley, Harvard um, – University of Pennsylvania. Um, th- those are the ones at the top of that list. But it's nice to see that, you know, the the work that's been done up in that Boulder area with getting venture capital uh, funding, getting, uh, you know, more support for start for entrepreneurs and for startups. Uh, it's, it's made some progress. And now CU is starting to generate some of that same uh, some of that buzz. Yeah, uh, I don't have the CU numbers in front of me, but the Stanford ones were pretty amazing. Um, they lift both the founder count and the amount of capital raised by those founders. 1,435 founders from Stanford for $73.5 billion in uh, money raised. That's a it, lot of money. Wouldn't it, you know, I, this article doesn't get into it, but I would love to see, you know, for every dollar you give to a founder at the, the different schools, how much you get back from right. that. Like, right. What, what's the ROI on yeah. that fourteen or $73 billion? Yeah, because right? if it's... Because if, you know, you assume that Stanford's getting all this money because they're the ones who who produce the best companies, but it it wouldn't surprise me if there's this halo effect that, you know, because we had some great people come out of Stanford, way too many people are getting funded out of Stanford and companies or uh, universities like CU lower on the list have a harder time getting funding. So they're, they're. You know, only funding better companies. I don't, I'm just making hypotheses with no data at all. I would love to see that data if someone does that analysis. Uh, okay, this is interesting. I, I so I dug into the list a little bit. You can go to the uh, the link there that has the list. Um, I looked at CU, 381 founders out of CU, which is I think is a good number. Uh, top five by capital raised, and these are the companies that they founded. Yeah. Number five, Silence with oh. 327 million dollars. Silence is a CU company. Wow. Yeah. See, this is so, the kind of deep so, investigative journalism that I expect from you, Alex. I, I don't really uh, recognize any of the other ones, but obviously, Silence. Silence, so. huh? Yeah. And, anyway. and so, you, I think you mean BlackBerry at this point. Well, I, uh, actually, well, I also heard this week that they're spinning off their security unit uh, is that right? in, into a separate company, uh, CU or uh, excuse me, uh, security and. Uh, IOT stuff. So into... they can focus on handsets. Exactly. <laughs> From the nineties. Exactly. <laughs> I, I apologize. I loved my Blackberry. I have nothing but positive things to say about them. Hey, next we have uh, another story. This one's coming from uh, Denver, Denver.com. What is it? Denver seven, Denver seven.com. Um, and this is a, around <clears throat> Metro state university's cybersecurity program. We've talked about it in the past, uh, but Metro state um, is getting to expand their cybersecurity program with the help of a brand new grant. Yeah, this grant for $500,000 is coming from the uh, Colorado Attorney General. And I'm not, uh, I don't know if that is from the Attorney General personally or the Attorney General's office. I'm, anyway, I'm assuming the office, but uh, anyway. Probably from the office. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this $500,000 is going towards 
uh, them training um, a bunch of new security analysts. Yeah, I think this is a really neat thing. I I know we talked in the past about how they have this program. I don't know that I understood before that they are actively not only training people, but they are delivering services that are being used um, currently by through this thing called Project Pisces. Yeah, um, was it eleven different organiz- uh the different customers that are that are helping protect? I think it was four. I said four hundred and fifty thousand Coloradans through this this service that they're doing at the school. So they people are coming in. Not only are they learning some tools, they're actually delivering SOC services as a part of their education. It is a really cool program. Um, I have talked to Richard McNamee, who's the the head of this program before, and we were actually trying to get him uh, to be an interview on the on the show, and we just got to figure out the timing for that. Um, but yeah, they they have a cool security operations center, and that the Project Pisces. You know, if you're a, a small, uh, understaffed, underfunded municipality, uh, you can sign up with Project Pisces and have have them monitor your your security infrastructure for you. Yeah, um, I think largely for free. Yeah, but it's such a cool thing, and and the fact that you're now going to be graduating people who not only have hypothetically learned how to do stuff, but have worked in a SOC, you know, dealing with real incidents, you know, working with real customers, it's only going to make them more employable. It's only going to help try and fill that, that large gap for, for hiring. Yeah. So the plan here is uh, the grant goes for two years and they're trying to train 85 analysts in the first year and an additional hundred by June of 2024. So pretty cool. I don't know if that means like full ride or some money towards your school. Anyway, doesn't really say, but, uh, Cool stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's move over. We have a blog this week from uh, from Ping Identity about MFA bombing, um, and and it's not a phrase that I have used. I, I didn't know that that was the word for this idea of overwhelming people with MFA requests in, in hopes that some number of them will approve it. You know, the idea of MFA is that you know, hey, if I if I figure out your password, I still won't be able to get in because of that second factor. But if if I figure out the password for everyone in a company and I authenticate as everyone over some amount of time, some number of those people are likely to approve the MFA if it's a push right. automatically. And this is talking about what does that, that kind of alert fatigue look like? Um, what can you do about it? And, and, and really like how security folks should think about this. Yeah, and so some of the things they say that you can do about it, one, uh, limiting the number of MFA prompts during a specific time frame makes sense. Uh, lever- leveraging push notifications with the number selection. People have probably seen that where um, instead of just saying, do you approve or not, like it sends you a number and you have to, on your end, input the number. Obviously, these are sort of blind attacks. So if um, if the attacker can't communicate with you, then they can't get you to put the number in. Uh, using risk-based authentication. So... Um, Obviously, that makes it easier if you are really the person trying to authenticate and harder if you are not the person. And of course, going passwordless with FIDO2 options, yeah. you know, uh, hardware tokens and things like that. Yeah, I was I think that those are all those are all good suggestions to help de- decrease the risk of this type of an attack. But I was surprised that one of the things that we did a lot when I was at Ping isn't on this list, which is recommend that the first time someone signs in from a new browser that you can't use push notifications mm. for that one authentication, you have to use a one-time password, right. which like just completely eliminates the idea that I'm getting a push that I'm going to approve. Cause you're never, well, you're almost never going to be trying to attack from my browser. You're attacking from some system somewhere else. So that's another thing you can look at doing as well. I mean, one other possibility there obviously too, is just eliminating those push notifications, right? Like there are so many options that you have now, um, that particular one, I mean, you could just get rid of that and then this attack right. goes away. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's move over to our next blog. This one's from Logarithm. We haven't talked about Logarithm in a little while. Um, they have a, a a service called an um, analytic copilot, which is basically a combination of using their technology and a human on the Logarithm side to help you get analytics set up in your sim. Yeah, and uh, this is not an AI service. I know everyone that w- that's doing... Uh, Gen AI services these days are calling it Copilot. This is not that. Um, basically, you know, you have someone that you can uh, call on and, and assist you in creating new use cases and, and tuning the ones that you have. So that's pretty cool. So this blog post is talking about six use cases that they have used during Copilot, or six of the most popular use cases that they've used with their customers. Uh, one of them, which I think is uh, very useful, is monitoring for disabling Windows event logging, right? If someone's turning off event logging, yeah. you really want to know about that. Yeah, they have six on here. I don't know if we're going to go through all of them, but and I'll mention another one that I found interesting is they also can detect MFA fatigue. What they're calling MFA bombing, they call MFA fatigue here. Right. Um, 
uh, they have the ability to detect, you know, if there are a bunch of MFA requests that end up getting denied and followed by one that's accepted, that looks suspicious to them and can be um, can be an opportunity for the the SOC to get involved. Yep. Uh, another one that they have on here that I thought was cool is travel lists on admin accounts. Uh, basically, uh, it, it looks like for the Black Cat group who was the one that uh, ransomed the uh, the casino groups in Las Vegas. They leveraged admins that were out of the office um, to uh, to get password resets and other things like that, right? So you yeah. can monitor, if you know when people are going to be out of the office, you can monitor for yeah. that and, and check on when bad things are happening. Yeah. I, I think the point of this blog in my mind is to show that you know, you, you can't just turn any technology like a SIM on and like just watch it go. Right. You know, it takes work, it takes it takes uh, tuning in your environment and using a service like this probably makes sense to get the most out of your investment. All right. Next, uh, we have a blog from Coalfire. And this is a, a rundown of the OWASP top 10 for large language model applications. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Gen AI. I feel like this is uh, kind of a, a backdoor way to talk about a non-Colorado thing because I find this really interesting to talk about the OWASP top 10 LLM list. You know, we, we've had the OWASP top 10 web application vulnerabilities and the API list for a while, and this is a new one. And, and I'm excited to get to, to see. Alex, any favorites from the top 10 list here? Um, I don't know about favorite, but I think the one that, that people probably know the most and is um, is pretty common this, these days is, uh, is prompt injection. That's number one. So putting things into prompts to either to get the model to do things you um, it shouldn't do or uh, you know, potentially do things that, uh, you know, you, the user doesn't want to do, but you're injecting things with them. Yeah. I, I, there's some overlap here between, you know, normal, you know, like sanitizing, you know, inputs, right. That's the thing you're going to see any on any of these types of lists, but there's a lot of stuff that's, that's quite unique to, to an LLM, um, you know, model theft, um, the, uh, uh, Denial of service, the, the you know poisoning your your learning data, you know interesting stuff that I you know I think that maybe I could have come up with some of these, but I love the fact that I have a validated list from a, from a trusted source here. Good For stuff. sure, yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, last article. Uh, this is a, a Red Canary blog talking about uh, the new SEC guidance and uh, what it is that's required of us if you're a public company. Yeah, so Red Canary is known for having like these really great in-depth technical blog posts that'll show you all the details of an attack. That's not what this is. This is a, a blog post by a, a friend of mine, Matt Spawn, the general counsel over at Red Canary, talking about what do companies, pu public companies, need to do based on the new SEC guidance. And you know, I, I I don't know that there's anything new for us on this list, but um, he does a good job summarizing what companies should be thinking about. Yeah. So if you are in a public company, or um, if this just interests you, I think it's it's a good way to get a good summary of that and see what it is that uh, is expected from. Uh, organizations around cybersecurity from the SEC. Good stuff. All right, that is it for our news. Let's jump over to our calendar of events. As a reminder, we do have an a, event calendar on colorado-security.com. Go see all the stuff coming up through the end of the year. Quite a few things coming up. But Alex, what do we have here in October? Uh, first on the list, on the 11th, ISSA Denver is doing their October chapter meetings. Uh, on the 17th, the Let's Talk Software Security Group is talking about, is threat modeling scalable? Uh, we actually have a couple things listed for ISACA Denver on the 19th. Um, uh, it's, it's the same thing twice here. Oh, okay. Uh, this is their October chapter meeting, Fraud Lessons from a, a Reinvention Architect and Mindset Coach. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually two separate things. So there's there's the Mindset Coach and then there's the, the Lessons ah, Learned. Got it. Yeah. Um, on the uh, 25th, we have ISC Squared Pikes Peak doing their October meeting down in the Springs. Uh, also on the 25th, CSA Colorado Fall Summit. Uh, this is on AI. So if, if that's an uh, interest to you, you should sign up for that. Yeah, especially where, you know, our special guest today is the um, CSA president. Darren Wiener is going to be talking on our interview today. Um, yeah, he's going to tell a little bit about that conference. I think this is a great event for you guys to go to. If you're looking for a fall event, this is probably it. Uh, very inexpensive. And I think that there's still some discount codes out there. And if you, if you go and you want to do something fun after the event, you should swing over to ISSA Denver's Women and Whiskey event. This is done by their Women uh, in Security group, um, and you get to have some whiskey and uh, hang out with some great gals. Uh, jumping a little bit into November, ISACA uh, Denver is doing their Dark Web Investigations Workshop on the 3rd. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's jump over to jobs. You know, We love to highlight a variety of jobs on the show, starting with some more senior level stuff and ending 
generally with more entry level. Uh, first job here on the list is by a company called Greenlight, and they are hiring their VP of security here in Denver. Sounds good. Thrivent is looking for a director of information security. BDO is hiring a director of privacy and data protection. Gensler is looking for a security administrator, senior. Western Union is hiring an information security architect. Bank of America is looking for a vulnerability identification senior analyst. GoGo Business Aviation. Um, I got, actually got to meet with their head of security um, this week, Anita Edmonds. Oh, cool. Um, Anita is looking to hire a senior cybersecurity analyst. Honeywell is looking for an IT security engineering manager. I don't know. Is that Justin Cohen's position? Is that, that, I that part of Honeywell? I don't know if it's his part in Honeywell or not. Mm. Uh, Justin's a great part of the community. If you don't know him, you know maybe he's a good guy to ask about this position if you do know him. Um, CoBank is hiring a senior cloud security analyst working with Stanton over there, a friend of ours. And finally, Plant Moran is looking for a cybersecurity consultant entry level. Good stuff. And that's a 2024 job. So they're looking, oh, cool. I think they're looking for someone who's graduated. College graduate yeah, kind of thing. To start with them uh, yeah, after graduation. It's crazy. I was, uh, I happened across a post on LinkedIn. Uh, there are companies that already have their 2024 summer internships listed. Yeah. It's, those, it's those are. Those are companies that we call well-prepared, Alex. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Many kids have already applied for college as well. <laughs> kids who we consider well-prepared well at this point. All right. That is it for the news. But like I mentioned, we do have a feature interview. Alex, what are we doing for the feature interview? Yeah. Um, this is the uh, CSA president. We have uh, Frank, who is our guest interviewer. Inter interviewer? Yeah. Yes. Give, doing another interview for us. And uh Looking forward to hear, hearing about the, the CSA and uh, the conference they have coming up and all that stuff. You know, we should just do a quick shout out that, to uh, Ben Fellows and Chris Abbey, who are helping organize a, a Colorado Equal Security Gives Back event. Um, we're, we're, you know, we did, we've done two so far this year, and they're looking to schedule a third one. I don't, we don't have enough details yet to, to, to post on the website, but they are working on getting uh, some support for the Denver Rescue, Rescue Mission and kind of a, a gift slash coat drive put together. So details will be out on Slack. We'll also put it in the newsletter when we know. Um, but thanks to those guys for organizing that. Yeah, I think we should give a, um, a thanks to Frank also, Frank Victory, who's been doing all of our interviews lately. So yeah, thank you. Thanks, thank Frank. you to Frank as well. Yep. All right, let's, let's go listen for, to Darren. Have a great month. Thanks, Rob. Hello, this is Stanton Meyer, CSO of CoBank. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Colorado. My name is Frank. This is the Colorado Equal Security interview. Today, I have a guest, Darren Werner. He is... Uh, it's Wiener, actually. It's Wiener. Okay, I should I should figure that out before the podcast. This is my second time now. So it's Darren Wiener. He is the Chief Cloud Officer of Cloud Button LLC, and he's also the President of the Cloud Security Alliance, the Colorado chapter. And what is that slogan? We are a drinking club that talks about cloud. Drinking club with a security problem. With a security um, we, problem. We haven't been promoting that tagline lately, but okay. yes, that is, we, we are known for that. The original tagline. Well, before we get into the actual interview, I do have a question for you, an icebreaker question for you. Okay. A mothership lands on Earth, and they, they start talking to you. They start waving you inside. Do you go with them? Oh, boy. Um, at this stage in my life, my kids are grown just about both out of the house. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. Absolutely. You only live once, you know. <laughs> that, that that opportunity might not come by again. So which might not end well, but <laughs> it'd be an adventure. All right. All right. Yeah. So would you tell anyone or would you just go? Uh, depends if they gave me any time or not. Yeah, I might throw a quick text out to my wife saying, sorry, honey, love you, but, you know, once in a lifetime right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 at least because uh, I know that if the positions were reversed and it was my wife, she would just be gone. She'd be like, see you later. Done. <laughs> done your job. Yo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, di dinner's in the fridge for the next week. And after that, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> All right. So again, you are the chief cloud officer of Cloud Button, and you have a very interesting background. You are a 
you're not a Colorado native, but you do, of course, live in Golden right now. Is it? Is it Golden? I do live in Golden. Yep. Yep. And what made you end up there? Where did you start off in your career? Yeah, I mean, I, my career is there's a Harry Chapin song that goes, "No straight lines make up my life. All my roads have bends," and and that definitely applies to me. And you know, I didn't. I, I actually was a computer geek back in high school. I was had my own BBS, so that dates me a little bit. Along with did a little freaking as well back in the day. And then I sort of put computers aside and I was I was pre-med in college. I was uh, studying biopsychology, which is really a pre-med major. And I was thinking about going to med school, but sort of life made other plans. I was actually, for a number of years after college, I was actually doing body work. And I came out to Boulder for the summer to go to a workshop, just a body work workshop. And I discovered rock climbing and I just I fell in love with the mountains and I I was planning on spending a couple of months going to a class. I ended up uh, spending all that money on climbing gear and uh, never left uh, Colorado. Uh, that was in 1993. So I've been out here since then. Okay. And so I am. Um, yeah. At some point I needed to uh, get a real job and I started working in the outdoor industry, uh, gear and clothing, working for rep agencies for high end clothing, things like Marmot, K2, those sorts of companies. And this was, you know, back right around when the dot-com era was starting. And, and the company itself was still, this was all old school ordering process. Think about companies that need to order, you know, twice a year, they need to order all the gear and clothing and things like that, all the shops. And I started bringing up a lot of my old computer skills. I started writing VBA code with Excel and Access to try to operationalize, create electronic order forms out of these very sort of standard order forms. And I started just spending more time getting into some of that, that development. And that was right when the dot-com boom was taken off. And there was a company that was, this was even before REI.com was a thing, uh, trying to get online gear and clothing. And I started working in databases. I started working, helping out with the database side of that. And that just got me on the tech bandwagon. And from there, from uh, data, I moved into uh, DBA work, database administrator. And then from there, I moved into IT, uh, managing IT, everything from the uh, help desk, desktop support to small data centers in offices, you know, again, way back when, right? Uh, became, was a manager, IT manager and IT director for a number of different organizations. And then once I discovered cloud, right, when cloud came about, the light bulb came on, I realized this is absolutely the future of, of what I'm doing. And so pretty much went all in into AWS cloud about 13 years ago or so. And from there, obviously it's, you know, all the things associated with working within cloud infrastructure. So all the security components, all the disaster recovery, managing cost, managing infrastructure as code, all those things just came with the job. And so I just continued to move in that direction. And then I decided to start my own consulting company about four years ago, it'll be four years this November, where I take, I take that, thank you, I take that sort of 26 years of IT experience, 13 years of cloud experience into every engagement. So I do what I call a deep engagement model where, you know, it, it, the cloud is a very confusing place for companies to work. And I try to help make sense of that, right? Bring in all my skills into it. So wherever I can add value within these organizations, I do. Okay. Well, before we get into that portion, let's take a step back because I, I, I heard something. Biopsychology. What in the world is that? For, for the people that may not know what that is, and that would include me, what is biopsychology? Yeah, it's basically the study of brain and behavior. So it's the biological basis of behavior. So for instance, in when I was an undergraduate, I was doing research into the dopamine hypothesis of schizophrenia. So looking at um, you know, how those neurotransmitters impact the you know, behavior and, and, and progression of, of schizophrenia. So it really is very much a, a, a neuroscience-based degree with uh, you know, just bridging that gap with psychology as well. Okay. So do you use that today? I mean, could could you find uses today, like maybe managing an IT teams? I mean, hopefully you're not managing anyone that has any <laughs> well, disease, but right. I mean, certainly when it comes to what I do in my day-to-day, -day, I, I really feel that the biggest challenge is you, you know, when you talk about challenges within technology of people processing technology, I, I think people is always going to be the the biggest challenge. And so certainly when it comes to the psychology aspect of it and building relationships, I'm always thinking about how can I do a better job working with people and managing relationships to be more effective at what I do and to help people be more effective at what they do. So I, I can't say necessarily that the degree directly 
helps me. However, the reason why I went into that area of study in college is because of my interest in people in psychology and relationships. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask a question of you, and it it may upset some of the people in the audience, possibly even you, but I, I, I don't think so. Do you think that it's different managing people in technology versus maybe your first job of managing in the outdoors, like your outdoor what equipment field? Yes. Okay. I think that you know technology companies are there's culture is there's such a challenging aspect of working for companies, especially in startups where you have all these different sort of subcultures that exist in organizations and larger large organizations have their sort of more of a siloed approach to things where there's also those their, their sets of cultures as well. And so that's just can be incredibly challenging. You have people that are dedicated to certain fields of study within technology and getting them to think differently or work with other teams that have different perspectives can be a, you know, a real challenge. When you look at, for example, think about IT versus cloud teams, right? Now, I, I have always considered cloud to be an evolution of IT, but that actually isn't the case in a lot of organizations. There's still the IT teams, and then there's the cloud teams, and they don't necessarily speak the same language. And then when you talk about security teams, security teams that historically aren't necessarily as focused on business value, for example, they're, they're really focused on, on protecting the organization, but not so much on really what's happening at the customer side and try to get them, them to interact with, say, development engineering teams, which have a very different perspective in terms of what, what their focus is and where they're trying to drive value. It's, it's just a challenging environment. A lot of strong opinions. In something like, you know, just to use that example of the outdoor industry, I mean, everyone had a common passion for the outdoors and that always, it was a very, very open culture, really fun. And everyone was in it for, for just, Hey, how do we, how do we get out and play more? Right. Uh, technology is a little bit of a different, different beast. Okay. So you've got your IT teams trying to just what make things work. You've got your cloud teams that have a completely different era. I mean, I think for most of us that are listening to the prod podcast, we've had a lot of experience with the security. We've had a lot of experience with the IT. But I'll have to be honest with you. This is the first time I've heard anyone say that the cloud was different, at least the, the, the support teams for them. How is it different? So certainly in some in a lot of organizations, the IT teams transition into cloud teams. But when you look at, at, at organizations that are still managing significant on-premise data center environments, so you have a hybrid, hybrid sort of setup, those teams are still very, very different. And they, they operate completely, com really in completely different spheres. And there's, you know, I've always said, I, I, I know what it's like to go from IT to cloud, right? I did it myself. And I remember the fear. I remember... Working, I was I was in IT for over a dozen years, and cloud came along. And as I said earlier, the light bulb went off, and I remember that feeling of being terrified, of like, wait a second, I have all this stuff that I need to learn and move to now. So I was excited about it, but it was also incredibly intimidating. And I see a lot of IT teams that still avoid moving in that direction, or they sort of move in baby steps because it's really challenging and it could be where they're at in their career in terms of later on in their career and they don't want to learn new things, or it could be that they're just really comfortable and really adept and skilled at, you know, in the particular domain area, areas of domain expertise where they're working. But every organization, every culture, again, is, is really different. And there, there's still a lot of, and resistance is not necessarily the right word, just a lot of intimidation and a lot of, hey, I'm really comfortable here and I don't want to necessarily move in that direction. At the same time, I actually ran into someone last night at the gym who was working in HPC at a, he used to work at NREL and he he worked at NREL HPC and he completely transitioned into cloud and he absolutely loves doing what he's doing. So it just really does depend on the individuals and, and how the organizations are structured in terms of really facilitating those types of career transitions. Well, I have to disagree though with you a little bit because I think there is a resistance sometimes to go to the cloud. And I, I think you nailed it, though, with the fear, the avoidance, possibly learning a new skill. 
But what about control? I mean, when we have stuff on-prem, inside, in our own infrastructure, we have, for the most part, absolute control of everything. How do you turn over that control to AWS? I, you know, getting into the, the discussion around, you know, remember early days of cloud, right? Cloud was, they were marking themselves as, it's more secure. And, and of course, the on-premise was saying, there's no way it's going to be more secure. And of course, the answer lies somewhere in the middle, because it doesn't matter physically where most of these systems reside anymore, because all these systems have some sort of numerous public access points, right? So I'm not going to necessarily necessarily have that discussion, but the the resistance with regards to on-premise and saying this is secure, that that does exist absolutely, and I could think of a number of places that where I worked where that was that was a challenge. Over time, that resistance has has broken down, right? You saw it. You saw it much more so early on when cloud was first being adopted, and now you're seeing much more hybrid solutions being accepted and and then managing, you know, the the whether it's the tool sets that they're working with, the configuration management frameworks, you know, whatever it is to try to manage across those hybrid environments. A lot more that is happening to sort of make people feel at ease that hey, the way we're managing on premise is actually similar or identical to the way we're managing it on cloud. So I think that those walls are breaking down, you know, for the most part, it doesn't mean that there are some organizations that are going to be, there's still going to be hugely resistant to that. That's going to depend on leadership and culture, right? It, 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 I don't think there's any objective facts that are going to say this is more secure versus that on-premise is more secure than cloud. It's really going to be a matter of subject matter expertise. It's going to be a matter of leadership. It's going to be a matter of how you develop those policies, how you develop those procedures to create secure environments. Okay. So as a chief cloud officer, right, and of course the president of, of CSA Colorado, you're in a leadership position. You are trying to get your people and convince your people to move over to the cloud. And there is some resistance there, right? And of course, you you have your, your positioning and everything else. What advice would you say? What would say, no, we have to do this without, of course, you know, throwing that hammer down. You you want to do it from a more convincing standpoint. So I, I don't necessarily spend a lot of time trying to convince organizations of why they should move to cloud, just in terms of the role and what I do. First of all, most of my clients are SMBs, small, medium-sized businesses, often startups, technology-enabled sort of companies that they have their own development shops and those sorts of things. Most of them, all of them have some amount, if not entirely, a cloud presence. So, so I typically work with those teams that are either moving to cloud or already in the cloud and just facilitating, um, you know, just, just making that work, you know, more better, right? In terms of organizations that I work with that are hybrid, often what you see is very separate teams. So you see that cloud centers of excellence in large organizations that that are 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 created and those are often very independent from the on-premise IT team so a lot of times the hybrid approach is often very you know separate teams and they actually don't necessarily play well together or there's just a, a, a sort of a clear line there again going back to the silos that exist in a lot of large organizations so i don't spend a lot of time i i you know when i worked at in REL, one of that was one of the biggest challenges was actually trying to work with the IT teams to get approval for certain cloud projects. Mm-hmm. And it was challenging, I'm not going to lie. It was a real challenge to sort of figure out how to convince them that we're going to do this right in the cloud. Okay. Okay. So now you're the, you are the president of CSA in Colorado chapter, but I heard something about you almost resigned from the board. <laughs> so, not many people know this. So, some people might listen. So, we. So, the I was. I've been a volunteer with CSA Colorado for a number of years on the board, and but CSA, so CSA Colorado is entirely volunteer driven. It's a nonprofit. We we just our our goal is to try to enhance in person educational and networking opportunities for Colorado cybersecurity professionals. And there's a it's a huge labor of love for everyone that's on the board, for everyone that volunteers for it. So it's a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie. It's like my second second job, but 
the, the one that I don't get paid for. And, and so last year, and we've been doing this annual summit or conference, which I'll, I'll talk, we'll maybe talk about at the end. And last year we did a conference on security compliance and privacy. And, you know, it's, it's a one-day conference in, in, in Colorado. We had a number of speakers, a whole bunch of different sessions, a panel, you know, a lot of vendor sponsors, tremendous amount of work to put it together. And it it just, it almost broke me. I mean, it was just so much work. And I was literally like, you know, at the end of it, when we got through it, and it was a successful conference and it went well, but I was just, just burnt out. I mean, it was just hard. It was a lot of work. It's a lot of herding of cats when you're dealing with with a, a board that's, again, all volunteer and they have their jobs and their lives and everything else. And I had the resignation letter all written out. You know, was like, I was uh, after the conference, I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. And then Tyler Warren, who was the president at the time, came to me and said, you know, he, he wanted me to 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 be president, the next president. He was going to sort of put his vote in for me. And so I, I sort of reflect on it. I'm like, okay, you know what? It's Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's also very rewarding. And if I was at the helm and I so there were the things that I might want to do a little bit differently and sort of, you know, really what what's important to me in terms of what I want to do for the community, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe that's the, the path to go. And so Resignation letter, letter is still somewhere in Google Drive, but I, I took over as president last December, and it's been great. It's been it's a tremendous amount of work. It, it definitely is something that I, I have to rem, I have to remind myself it's not my day job because of how much time I spend on it, and especially planning for this conference. But it is so rewarding, and it's great. You know, our focus on in-person networking and educational opportunities to me is what where we're trying to distinguish ourselves. It's not that other organizations like OWASP Denver doesn't do that as well, but we've been trying to really focus on that and less on, for instance, what Colorado Equal Security does with Slack channel. People say, "Hey, why don't you have a Slack channel?" Well, I know how much work it is to add a digital element to what we're trying to do. I'm going to let Colorado Security do that great job, and we're going to try to enhance. That in person, those in person pieces, and to me, the networking is so important. The in person networking, right? I mean, even before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. But since COVID, it's even more of a challenge in terms of, you know, getting people to really have that one on one interface. Right? The water cooler is dead, right? We don't have that water cooler conversation and just that flyby sort of conversation that existed in offices where we could just talk about a problem or talk about a particular situation that that was is going on whether it's in security or IT or whatever else all that is is diluted now right with 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 all the the digital stuff that we're doing i'm trying to do what i can with the cloud security alliance colorado to sort of really bring back some of that really in person networking pieces where i can and and by the way from a career perspective when you talk to the hr people in cybersecurity right they talk about how the HR funnel is is broken. Or you you can't throw your resume in with four thousand other resumes. It gets funneled through AI machine learning algorithms to a handful of of resumes that humans finally see. Like that doesn't work, right? What does work is that networking, and so we're trying to do everything we can to enhance that. Well, some people know this already about me, but I teach a lot of university classes, and I kind of tell them the same thing that. It's not just what you know, it's who you know in this industry. And of course, listening to this podcast, going to the Slack channel for Colorado Equal Security, CSA, OWAPS, et cetera. I know it takes a lot of time to, personally, I know this, that it takes a lot of time to put yourself into a nonprofit. But I think that you also have some time to walk your dog at times and you've come up with a new way of doing that. Well, so this is an old, old story. So I mentioned that when I first came out to Colorado, I was basically just, I was basically climbing full-time. That was my, that was my job. I was just a, a climbing bum, which doesn't really pay the bills. And at some point I was, but I, what was paying the bills, I was actually dog sitting. I was doing dog sitting for friends. And one day I was a climber. So I had the, you know, carabiners are right. That's what, that's what you attach your, your, your ropes to uh, carabiners, little clips. And I was, I was walking these two dogs and I sort of attached their leashes to, again, dating myself, to the fanny pack I was wearing with this carabiner so I could have my hands free. I'm like, hi, and I had a lot of time on my hands because I really didn't have, have much by way of a job. And I had a, my, my roommate at the time had a sewing machine. And so I ended up building this belt that goes around your waist that had shock absorption built into it. And you could, with a little quick release buckle, you could attach any leash to it. And I called it the hands away leash belt. And, I, and it was the new way to walk your dog. That's what I was 
how I was advertising it. And I, I went around to all the trade shows around the US and was selling this product for, uh, for a couple of years, along with a couple of other little ancillary products. And uh, yeah, that was my random sort of career move. But I didn't really know how to run a business. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just looking for ways to support my climbing habit. And uh, lasted a couple of years. It's still a great idea. It, it was. It was. It's still a great little product. It was a patent pending, but I never actually went through with the patent because I just decided to actually get a real job instead. But the new way to walk your dog—that's what it was. I, I I like the way that you put it. It's a climbing habit, like it's an addiction. <laughs> uh, here's something though. You, so you're you're walking your dog, or you're you're addicted to climbing, but somehow in the flat irons you ended up naked. So, so have you seen have you seen Free Solo? Uh, I have not actually. Okay, so that that's a story about Alex Nold, he's a really famous climber, and he he climbs El Capitan solo, which is an amazing feat. And people who don't climb look at it and go, "That's like that's insane, that's nuts, right?" But in his world, that's all he does, right? And and so when you look at it from a risk perspective, people look at it externally and they say there's a huge amount of risk that he's taking. But in his world, it all makes sense, right? He's, his risk threshold is very different than sort of your average person. When I was climbing full time, things that you know look crazy sort of made sense. It was just part of my world. And so the flat irons up in Boulder are these known to be these very, you can you know, obviously see them when you drive into Boulder, the flat irons. Um, and they're, they're these slabs. They're not very hard to climb, but they're very long. So 800 feet high, that sort of thing. And I just, it was my backyard. It was a place that I'd go and I was just, I was climbing all the time. And so you just kind of like make it interesting. And so, you know, one year I, I had my, my holiday card one year. And this, so this is before, you know, phones, right? So I, I took one of my cameras up there and I made a very tastefully done holiday card where I had to like position the camera on the slab so that it was like horizontal. And then I had to like set it on the timer and sort of scoot over and 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 strike a pose wearing no clothes, just my chalk bag and my, and my climbing shoes and then get back. And of course it wasn't for a few weeks until I knew that uh, if it came out or not, but it was on my holiday card one year. And yeah, I did that a few times. Again, it just kind of made sense. It was just kind of a fun thing to do. I, I never considered it risky because, again, that, that was my world at the time. Okay. Okay. But you really do love the outdoors. And one of the things about it, I think, as, as I look through your profile and everything, the land of no service, right? I mean, we, we're attached <laughs> to our phone these days. And especially, again, in, in cybersecurity, we have our phones and trying to navigate with our phones sometimes, uh, we become dysfunctional. Uh, and some people do. I mean, I carry actually, I, believe it or not, I carry three phones with me at all times. <laughs> so, so, uh, so let me ask you this. Okay. When do your most creative ideas come to you? When do your deepest thoughts come to you? My deepest thoughts? Uh, I think you and I have at least some kind of alignment. It comes when I'm walking my dog. And I'm not doing anything else. I'm just enjoying the walk and seeing what interests her to with all the sniffing and everything else. You know, and they say, you know, Einstein came up with a lot of his ideas on his bicycle, right? I mean, when we're just when we're free, right? When we let our minds go. And and so I recognize that. I, I'm obviously I'm a I'm quite the digital native. And yet at the same time, I recognize that, you know, this technology is not who we are. And so for me, I just love getting away from it when I can. And I and because it 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 is where I explore my creativity and my 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 limits and and do a lot of my deepest thinking. I mean, to prepare for this podcast, I went on a walk this morning, you know, and wrote down some ideas without the distraction of a phone and and the constant, you know, just just the distractions of of all our notifications. And so for me, yeah, when I go, I don't. I like to go camping. I like to go backpacking. I like to be out out in the wilds. And I really do like my favorite place is no service whether it's out in Utah, whether next week, actually, although this, I don't know when this podcast is airing, but I'm actually headed out for a multi-day backpacking trip out to the Lost Creek Wilderness. And the favorite part about that is my phone's not going to work out there. I'm really, oh, wow. really psyched about that. That actually sounds very, very nice. Well, this is a Colorado Equal Security podcast. And so let's talk about some security issues here. What do you think is today's greatest challenge? Now, I'm not saying solve it. We do need to address it. But what do you think is the biggest, largest security challenge? What is top of mind? So 
there's obviously a lot, right? And and I could bring up things like ransomware, API security, those sorts of things. But I'm going to sort of go back to some of the theme of what we've been talking about up till now and, and talk about sort of the, the people and process side of it. So it's very easy to talk about all these security tools and processes that need to be in place. But at the end of the day, I spent a lot of time with my hands on the keyboard. I spent a lot of time with companies that are trying to drive business value. And the practical management of a security program that really is is doing a good job of improving security posture over time is just really hard. It's hard to do it on the ground. We could talk about, oh, you got to patch your stuff. Yeah. Patching is is hard. As much as, as much as there's all these great tools out there, when you try to intersect that with business value and maintenance windows and all the things that businesses need these days, it's just like, practically speaking, it can be really hard to do. Even with immutable infrastructures, it's hard to do because you have to make sure you're running it through your pipelines and through your lower environments before it gets tested and through the upper environments. Shifting left is 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 fantastic. All the tool sets that are coming out right now to make it easier to shift left is great. But at the same time, it's just hard to make that transition and to do it consistently. Well, I think a lot of the tools that are that are that are coming up in that in, in that space, uh, I think a lot of the vendors are doing a fantastic job there. Even a WAF, right? A web application firewall, right? Very easy to put in place. Tuning it's really hard to a point where you're not impacting your your valid customer traffic, right? And 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 some people say, well, WAFs don't matter anymore. Everything matters. All these layers, all these layers of the security onion matter, even if certain things might be more important now than, you know, and, and other things are less important. And identity access management, still hard, right? We still haven't, haven't it, it's just getting more and more challenging over time. And, and when you start working with more mature organizations that have been working in cloud, for instance, for a long time, shutting down things like, you know, I am, you know, excessive privileges and those sorts of things, the risk introducing that you're introducing to organizations when you want to sort of tighten things up, it's just hard. It just it, the whole, all of it is hard, and so 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 I think when it comes to it, what I see a lot and what I deal with a lot, again with my hands on the keyboard, is we want to improve security posture. We want to make incremental improvements to the environments, and we just have to recognize that it's going to be small steps. Make sure that we have our goals in mind. What you know, the, the the things that we're trying to achieve by way of compliance or by way of controls, but just recognize that. It's going to take a while to get there, and it's never, it's never ending. Okay, so here's is that what you would call shifting left? I mean, there's it's it's a buzzword these days. At least I see this as a buzzword: is shifting left. What would you define shifting left to be? I mean, shifting left means a lot of things, right? Fundamentally, it's really about creating that security awareness at you know at the beginning of say software development life cycles, right? Again, in, in, in a lot of the startups that I work at, uh, that's 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 where this comes into play a lot. So there's other sort of other, a lot of other areas of the organization where shifting left applies as well, but let's just take software development life cycle, for example. So are you bolting on security at the end, right? Where you're, where you're saying, okay, we built this application. Now let's test it and see if it's secure. Let's throw a pen test at it, or let's, you know, run burp suite or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Instead, well, there's these great tools that exist now with, that you can integrate into pipelines for things like static code analysis, you know, SAS testing, DAS testing, those sorts of things that we could be integrating early on in the process, early on in our pipelines. We could even prevent, you know, pipelines from continuing if certain things are detected, secrets in code and those sorts of things. So let's start applying that. Let's start applying things like secure code reviews as part of that process as well. So you're getting more interaction and more discussions between different aspects of the development teams, the security teams talking to each other earlier in the process to really look for those, asking it from a perspective of security, not just, is this good code, but is it secure code? Is it secure infrastructure? Those sorts of things. Are you applying standard best practices early on in these processes? So it's it's a lot of it really is, again, that people in process combined with the technology, combined with some of the technology that's out there, but shifting that mindset to saying, hey, security is important. We're not just going to bolt it on. We're going to be having those conversations earlier in the process, as the and, and not just earlier, but throughout the life cycle, product development life cycle, as well as software development life cycles. And that just becomes part of what we do and how we do it. 
Hey, that, 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 again, that, that's very interesting because I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a buzzword. It's floating around. It can mean different things to different people. Uh, but it sounds like really it's something that all the security professionals on this podcast, listening to this podcast, really want is let's start building security into the products before we even start. Stop having it as an afterthought. So because I, I bridge the gap between sort of the security world and development world, the DevOps world, and, and the sort of leadership level, I, I see when you talk to security professionals, they're like shifting left. Makes sense. We just have to do it, right? And they're not wrong. But when you talk about what businesses are trying to do in terms of driving business value and get products to market in highly competitive environments you understand why it's hard to shift left and why it's hard to you know to slow things down to put these processes in place and to manage these these processes and these pipelines over time so i understand the tension that exists and the way my just general approach is always sort of a middle of the road which is like let's talk about incremental improvements to get to a better place to me that that is i see that making a difference that the biggest challenge is keeping that pressure on, right? Don't let inertia sort of slow it down. You have to constantly be really looking at how we're, okay, we're making improvements. Now what's better than that? What's better than that? And we need to constantly have that conversation to sort of really align those, that security mindset and that business value. I think you're definitely saying the things that the security professionals listening to this podcast definitely want to hear, right? Is that that incremental site, getting to that goal, keeping up that momentum. Uh, if we started talking about that, I'm pretty sure we'll go on for about the next three to five days, uh, nonstop. And I do have to actually come up to an end of this podcast. I do want to thank you though for your time. We do have a couple of events coming up here. Uh, next week, next Friday, September 8th, uh, 2023, B-Sides Denver is coming in. Okay, there are some interesting talks, including one called Going Undercover in the Underground, Miter Mayhem, and then the Tragedy of Commons, and it's all about fishing. We also have another conference coming up, the CSA conference on October 25th. you want to mention that a little bit, Darren? Uh, can we talk about that for the next three or five days? Because Absolutely. it's what I, I spend yeah, my time I'm, doing. I'm pretty sure Rob and Alex will get upset with me. But uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing you there, Frank. So October 25th, October 25th at the Cable Center in Denver. You can find out more about it by going to csacolorado.org. So this is going to be a pretty unique conference. So this is the sixth annual conference that CSA Colorado has done. And it's going to, the entire content all day is going to be talking about the intersection of AI and cybersecurity. So all day, every day, all day we're going to be, this is, what the conversation is going to be. This is what all the, you know, in between the sessions this is what people are going to be talking about. It's a curated group of speakers that are all handpicked because they have a level of expertise in this intersection. And obviously it's pretty important in terms of timing. We came up with this idea in Q1 of 2023, right when ChatGPT 4.0 was hitting, you know, as hard as it did. And we suspected and hoped that the conversation would just even be that more important in the fall when we're having this conference. And we're not wrong. And it's going to be a great conference, along with the speakers. And of course, the networking, because the networking obviously is really important to me, and some great sponsor, vendor sponsors that are going to be there. We're doing a couple of really interesting things as well that are that are pretty unique. One, we're going to have a, a couple of kiosks set up, and those kiosks are going to allow people to explore prompt engineering with ChatGPT. So you hear a lot about this. With this kiosk, this kiosk, this UI is going to really help you understand what that means. We're also going to be doing a, a panel discussion, except all the panelists are going to be uh, chat GPT roles. So we're going to have a Russian nation state hacker role. We're going to have a CISO of a large financial organization and then a third role as well. And these this, this session is going to be, they're going to be interacting with the audience in voice. So this is going to be a very futuristic sort of approach to how we're going to be interacting with these AI models in the very near future. It's going to be really exciting. It's uh, You'll be pretty amazed at how deep you can go if you role play ChatGPT correctly. Well, that's, again, I, I think that's going to be awesome because I remember your talk at our Snowfrog conference. It was all about Alexa, right? You had something about Alexa with this? 
I was using Alexa to uh, to basically deploy well-architected frameworks, so secure infrastructures in AWS. And it was an interactive uh, discussion I've done several times where Alexa was actually doing everything for me, which included creating infrastructure, securing the infrastructure, attacking the infrastructure, remediating security issues, and then destroying the infrastructure as well over the course of the session. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Well, that again, I, I think that anyone that's interested in AI should come to your conference, whether they're interested in cloud or not. And any, I think that AI is going to be both a benefit and a detriment to IT security, probably pretty soon, if not already. It's uh, yeah, challenging yeah. discussions around that. And that's a lot of what's going to be talking about, talked about in, in these sessions. I've been telling the speakers very briefly, I've been telling the speakers that if the people attending their sessions are a little more scared after the session when they went then when they went in they've done their job right okay well i want to thank you for your time i appreciate it, especially coming in on a weekend and talking to me and doing this podcast on a weekend uh, my name is frank i am on the board for the denver oas chapter we are planning our annual snowfrock conference for 2024 it'll happen sometime in march if there are any volunteers, anyone that wants to help out with this conference, we're going to start off with our call for sponsors. Please contact me through the OWASP Slack channel or my email. My contact information is everywhere. Again, thank you, Darren, for your time. I appreciate it. Darren, again, is the Chief Cloud Officer of CloudButton. He is the president of the CSA Colorado chapter and an all-around nice guy. So thank you again, Darren. Thanks, Mike. It was really an honor. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.